United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Let's focus on the international right now. We want to shift to a study of stories that are not getting as much, uh, probably, as they need in terms of airtime. What is happening in Libya and what is happening in Tunisia? In Libya, there are uh, there are continued uh, there's unrest there, a siege on Tripoli, a looming battle for uh, southeast of Tripoli, the area of Tarhono, as a possible inflection point in the conflict there. In Tunisia, the death of the president Beji Asibi, a loss for those who favored political moderation and incrementalism. That's the take from our guest Tom Hill, who's here to expand on this. Tom is a senior program officer for North America at the U.S. Institute of Peace, and is tweeting at USIP. Tom, welcome back. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Let's take this one at a time. Uh, first in Libya, because clearly the death of uh, Muammar Gaddafi a few years ago has not led to anything other than unrest, chaos, and disorganization in that country. What is the, the sort of the state of the nation right now in Libya? What you have is essentially a stalemate in terms of ground forces between the internationally recognized government that's based out of Tripoli and the um, insurgent force or um, Libyan National Army, guided by General Heftar, um, and neither is able to make significant headway in terms of ending the conflict militarily, but outside actors, principally the United Arab Emirates, now France, um, in small, smaller ways, Turkey, Saudi, and Egypt, keep fueling the, the, the conflict by pumping money into their respective proxies. Why France? I think France and Italy... Uh, have a vested interest in in the stability of of Libya because they, um, as you'll recall, they uh, there was a great deal of hysteria in Europe about the number of migrants that were leaving Africa or departing from Libya, but most of them were sub-Saharan Africans and entering into Europe. Um, and the the xenophobia and the perceived um, instability that these migrants create, not only um, from a, a demographic perspective, but also uh, the potential for terrorism created a lot of um, uh, energy within the French populace to do something about Libya. And so the French have um, ha- obviously have historical ties to the continent. They are very active in countries that are border Libya on the southern frontier. And so uh, being active in Libya is part of not only uh, France's continued activities on the continent, but also this, this immediate uh, migration issue. So you bringing may- stability is, is really their primary c- concern. You mentioned the internationally recognized government. It doesn't sound like it's internationally recognized by everybody, and one wonders what exactly it means if you're internationally recognized. Well, yeah, it's interesting. So the the Emirates, uh, Egyptians, Saudi Arabia, all the other external patron states all rhetorically support the government in Tripoli and have repeatedly uh, supported UN resolutions that have identified the government in Tripoli as the sole legitimate governing body of the country, and yet they continue to support groups inside Libya that are uh, trying to overthrow that body. So there is an inconsistency um, between their rhetoric and their actions, but um, uh, nominally, the government in Tripoli is still the internationally recognized one. You have also noted the United Nations has imposed arms embargoes, but that's being violated left and right, and it doesn't seem that there are many consequences for those violations. That's exactly right. So the UN has um, has passed multiple resolutions uh, that prevent the the transfer of weapons and uh, material and and uh, support into Libya. 
And uh, there are at least five, probably six or more countries that are regularly violating that. Um, Most prominently would be Turkey on the side of the the government based in Tripoli and then the United Arab Emirates um, in backing the the LNA and General Hiftar. Uh, But you have France, Saudi, Egypt, the Russians, uh, all playing an active role. And what role is the U.S. playing right now, and what, in your estimation, what role should the U.S. be playing? Well, it's a, it's a strange situation where the U.S. Um, is, is not involved at all, and here you have a situation where there are uh, Libyans actually uh, pressing for the U.S. to get deeper involved. So um, there have been a series of high-level visits from the internationally recognized body based in Tripoli, and as they come through Washington, their principal talking point is, please get involved, please help us. I think the the most productive way the U.S. can be involved is not militarily or financially, but rather diplomatically. And part of the problem and what has helped prolong this, this conflict has been an inability to get um, all countries that are, except for, I guess you could say Russia, all countries that are allies of the United States around a table to discuss what a um, productive way to um, to bring stability to Libya might look like. And really, the U.S. is the only country that has the ability to convene those countries and hold them accountable. The French and Italians have both tried and have failed to do that. Um, and I don't think that they have the leverage with the Gulf countries to actually implement anything. So the U.S. is really uniquely placed to play a productive diplomatic role. And that's a very low cost, but high yield intervention. Once again, Tom Hill with a senior program officer for North Africa at the United States Institute of Peace. Let us shift to Tunisia, where the death of the president, Bejik Absebsi, has caused uh, elections, which now have been moved up to September 15th. Some people look at that as a positive sign. How do you view this? Uh, Well, Absebsi's death is a a major loss. He was a, a dominant figure in the political system and really was... A force for moderation, and um, I think he did a lot behind the scenes to ensure that things were done by consensus. And while that may have made the political process rather slow, I think that it ultimately has yielded what arguably is the only uh, true democracy in the Arab world. So uh, his his presence, um, I think, will be a major loss. Now, they were already going to have elections this fall. His death has accelerated the timeline for those elections. Um, and what you see is an extreme fragmentation of the political space. Um, and, and rather than having parties kind of coalesce around ideologies and really building out a, um, a, a series of, of platforms um, with proposed reforms and things that they want to do to improve the country, what you're seeing is a lot of personalities emerge and parties built around personalities. And that's really not helpful. So um, in, in the run up to the elections, we'll see who who actually starts to gain traction right now, the person who's gaining the most traction is um, kind of a, um, a billionaire media tycoon, almost in the, the same uh, cloth, cut from the same cloth as Silvio Berlusconi in Italy several years ago. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But a sepsis death is a major loss. Uh, to that point uh, you were making before about the proxies, once again, we find Egypt and the United Arab Emirates uh, sticking their fingers in this particular pie. In, in Libya or in, in Tunisia? Because I don't, I don't think I see Egypt and uh, the UAE playing a role in Tunisia so much. Um, are there any are, on the outside then that are trying to do that? Uh, not, that not that I can tell in terms of Tunisia. You know, Tunisia's, um, 
bordered by two states that are got enough on their own plate right now in terms of what's going on inside them with Libya on its east and Algeria on its west. Um, and by and large, the countries that would be capable of playing a role in Tunisia are occupied with other things that are going on in the region and Tunisia's considered kind of small potatoes. But the U.S. is deeply invested there and we spend a lot of money and effort trying to advance democracy there. And uh, so it, we have a very uh, deep stake in, in seeing uh, Tunisia's transition continue to go in smoothly and democratically. And that would be my next question is whether or not the U.S. role, as you've just described a little bit, but it, whether that is the appropriate level of engagement in this particular conflict or I say conflict in this particular area. Yeah, I, I think um, I perceive Tunisia to be a beacon of hope in an otherwise fairly bleak um, environment where you see strong men and anti-democratic forces playing um, extremely uh, negative roles in all these countries. And here you have Tunisia that is uh, really made progress towards becoming a truly democratic state, uh, one that is uh, pluralistic and uh, actually um, uh, pushing um, the society forward rather than backwards. And it, we have a, a great opportunity, I think, to help them, uh, not that they that Tunisia is a, is a model that can be exported, but they can serve as an inspiration, I think, for other people uh, in the region who want something different than the despotic rule that they that many of them currently live under. We're about out of time, and I know that this is not nearly enough time to cover these issues, but just a general question, whether or not the State Department is now at a point where you think it is staffed appropriately under Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to be addressing these issues. There had been a concern at one time that the ranks of diplomats were being decimated and that there was not enough to really do the kind of grunt work that's required behind the scenes to take care of at least paying close attention to these areas. Has that made any any changes been made there? Uh, not that I've seen. I mean, the the tragedy is that North Africa has always been, um, I think, overlooked by um, what's happening in the Middle East and then massive development projects in, on the continent of Africa. And so you have the North Africa kind of always in the shadows of these much, much larger engagements. And both Libya, Tunisia, but also Algeria and, and I would argue Egypt are places that uh, necessitate a lot of uh, attention and an investment. Um, not just financially, but diplomatically. And it's unfortunate that uh, right now um, North Africa continues to, to suffer from this kind of uh, marginalization within the State Department, but within the broader U.S. national security framework, which has been consistent for, for uh, several presidents now. So uh, it doesn't help that there are people in, in a lot of those seats, but um, a couple more bodies, um, I don't think it's sufficient. There really needs to be a, a greater appreciation and prioritization of North Africa. Tom Hill, I do appreciate you being with us. Thanks for setting us straight on a few things and giving us the information we need. I appreciate it. Thank you. Tom Hill, Senior Program Officer for North Africa at the U.S. Institute of Peace on the uh, ongoing situations in Libya and Tunisia. Tunisia with its election September the 15th. Tom, by the way, the Twitter handle at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.